are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Praise the Lord. Uh, significant time. I think, you know, if I was to describe the day we live, um, rather than quoting the scripture, I could also quote Charles Dickens, who said, in the tale of two cities is the best of times, and it's the worst of times. Boy, does that describe today. The best of the best is happening, the worst of the worst is happening, and I think especially, we had a, a federal election, all of you were aware of that, um, we had a federal election this <laughs> few months ago, and, um, a lot of people are still kind of numb uh, by it and saying, why? Probably there was more prayer uh, for this past election than any election I've seen. And um, prayer with some specifics, wanting to see a righteous government um, and a leader uh, and cabinet that would make righteous decisions. And um, the fact was that up until this past election, we had more born-again Christians sitting in Parliament than ever before in our history. And in this past election, most of them lost their seats. Uh, we've been visiting with many of our friends that are not in Ottawa anymore because they, they lost. And uh, some of them are still there, and uh, we were just... I uh, just had lunch with a couple that um, they and he represents a conservative uh, party in rural Ontario. He won by a landslide, and that was great. I spent a morning a couple of months ago with our member of parliament who lost uh, by a liberal landslide in one of the Ottawa ridings. And um, so I think a lot of people have questions. And, and I, I refer to Acts chapter 12 that um, it says, that, that, that's, the, that's the portion of scripture where Peter was in prison and he had 16 soldiers guarding him. He was chained hand and foot, and just, but the church prayed. And the angel came and, you know, it's a phenomenal, one of the great miracles in, in, in scripture. And um, he was released and freed and just all of that. It's a phenomenal but at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, just before Peter was arrested, James was arrested and died by the sword, which meant they cut his head off. Both were leaders in the church. And God loved James as much as he loved Peter. And James was as important to the work of God as Peter was. The church prayed fervently. I believe the church prayed for James when he was arrested. And I think if you'd gone to those people who were praying so fervently for Peter to be released and said, no, just, just a minute here. You prayed for James who was arrested and had his head cut off, 
and like it didn't work. So what's the point? And, and just explain to me why. Why did Peter get such a miracle and answer to prayer and James died? It's the same question that people would ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why wasn't that person healed? Or why didn't the election go the way we, we wanted it to go? I think they would have given the answer, and the answer is very profound. And I've got the answer. You might want to write it down. The answer is, I don't know. Now, some people say, well, that's not an answer. It is the answer. Wow. It is the answer. It's the best answer you can come up with. See, I was under so much pressure in the early days of this healing meeting, uh, ministry because I thought, I need to have an answer for every question people ask about healing, even if I had no idea. You have to answer. You have to pretend you know. It was a real release when I could honestly look at them. I don't know. Because you'll never figure it out. Now, I, I have met people in the church, not this church, but the church in Canada, who have it all figured out. They know everything. They've got, they've got answers to questions nobody will ever ask. And I tell you, I mean, they really make me nervous. Because you'll never understand, you'll never understand this, you'll never understand it all. You see, Job said, when I do not understand, yet will I trust. God's ways are higher than our ways. You, you will never figure it out. You'll never have all the answers. And the answer to what happened in the fall is, well, we really don't know. Other than we do know that the, no government can fix our nation. No government can solve the problems. I think it'd be a tough thing to be a world leader today because they can't fix it. They can't fix it. And I, I was concerned that during the election, people not only got very personal in their attacks. You see, I, I've been in Ottawa and our ministry's been based out of Ottawa since 1972. And I've been acquainted with politicians right through. I tried not to get involved with politics, but we have always gotten involved with politicians and their families, which is much more fun. So they call for prayer and stuff. And in the day, you know, there was the opposition, there was the government, and, and they did well, and they, they would come against each other in the House of commons, but they were not nasty to each other. They were not, I mean, the House of Commons in those days, in the 1970s and I think 80s, never sat in the evening as they do now. They would always break at dinner time, and almost all of them would go to the dining room, and I was there many times where they were all there. Members of all the parties, they were having dinner. And there was such a nice spirit there. They were joking with each other and talking to each other and talking about their families and, and all of that. And, and some behind the scenes, some really nice things happened. You know, even with, I remember a couple of really positive things happened when Prime Minister Trudeau, number one, 
did some really nice things for John Diefenbaker. And, and nobody knew about them, but it just was just nice. Well, it concerned me that, you know, it was so personal. And, and a couple of uh, people campaigning told me that, you know, they, they, there's such hatred towards Mr. Harper. And when they asked, well, why, they didn't know. They just hated. But then it really concerned me when Justin Trudeau became our prime minister and many, including many Christians, started getting really personal and very hateful towards them. That's not our mandate. That's not our mandate. I mean, we just decided, you know, can, I mean, people voted for change and boy, we're getting change. I don't see really many positive changes, but I, I, we're getting changed. That's what they wanted, it was change. But I think we have reason to be concerned. Our nation's in crisis. But if you want to live in blessing, you better start blessing. We're commanded to pray for those in authority over us. And so we pray every day for Justin, for his wife Sophie, for their kids, Xavier and Ella Grace, that they will have a revelation of the love of Jesus, how much Jesus loves them. Because God can't bless us if we don't honor. Honor those in authority. Honor is a key to blessing, key to revival, all of those things. I feel, I feel fresh fire in my bones for Canada. This year, just recently, while I was just in prayer, God spoke to me. We, you know, we, the last few years, we, I released the church and turned over to Sean Gaby and Michelle in Ottawa because I knew this fresh fire in my bones. I had to give the rest of my life traveling sea to sea and river to the ends of the earth, stirring the nation and trying to wake the church up, really problem is there's a segment of the church doesn't want to wake up. When you wake up, people don't want to wake up. They get crabby. And you wish you'd let them sleep. But there's a ch there is a group of people that are rising up. And we've been calling Canada to stand on guard. Canadians stand on guard and do more than sing it or say it, but actually do it and do positive things. And, and, and so I knew we'd continue to do that, but God just gave us a fresh mandate that this year we're to minister in every province, every territory, and go to every capital of every province and territory and decree life. We refuse to curse the darkness and get caught up. I was just in the Maritimes, we were just in the Maritimes and um, fall, and somebody said, are you, are you gonna bind the powers of darkness? You're gonna do this? I said, well, I really don't get into that. I've come here to put some lights on. I find that darkness just goes if you turn the lights on. And, and, uh, and so we, our mandate is to spread the fire. The, 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 the reason, one of the reasons we're here is when I saw the title of this conference, it just wham, arise. That's the word. Scripture says, Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come. That word light you can translate it fire. Arise and shine for your fire has come. The people filled with the Holy Ghost and power need to rise. It's a decision. It means action. You got 
do something. It means you don't, we don't just sit in church. We don't just, just say things. We don't even just pray or just give. If you arise, you get up. It's an action thing. For the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and it is. It's not going to get better out there. It's going to get worse. That's what Jesus said. But it's going to get better in here. Darkness will cover the deep darkness over the people. I mean, come on, we're living in this day when the very imagination of the heart of man is evil. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, they just kept thinking of more evil things. And, you know, you think it can't get any worse. Well, it keeps getting worse. But the Lord will arise over you. This is for you. His glory will be seen upon you. If people are going to see the glory of God... You're going to be carrier of this. This weekend is designed as the agenda of God to get you to be covered with the glory of God, to be a carrier of the glory of God. So wherever you go, darkness will be dispelled, demons will flee, people will get healed, set free, and the glory of God will be spread all over this region. The Gentiles, the ungodly, the unsaved will see and come to your light. If they're going to see Jesus, go see through you. And the kings to the brightness of your rising. In other words, he says, if you really rise up and have, carry the glory of God, we're not talking about being religious. We're not talking about just going to church or doing things. But we're talking about carrying the fire of God. We've tried as a church in Canada to change this nation with our intellect, and that hasn't worked. But the old-fashioned Holy Ghost and fire upon ordinary people can do anything. As society has changed, the church has changed. We've lost the value of life in our nation. This week, Quebec performed their first legal assisted suicide. Another one pending. And that's going to happen on a national scale. If you know anything about history in Germany, it didn't start with the Holocaust. It started with killing the unborn. Then it started with taking care of the older people. And at this stage of life, I just want to go on record as saying I'm violently opposed to euthanasia. <laughs> I keep telling my wife, keep moving, keep moving, honey. I told a friend of mine, I said, there's a, there's a van that keeps driving past our house slowly. He said, they're coming after you. So we just keep moving. We've lost the value of life. So rather than, you know, spending all of our time speaking against abortion and euthanasia, we're going to run all over the country speaking life and valuing life that begins at conception and ends with natural death. And honors the God who gives life and gives it more abundantly. Christians have lost hope. I've noticed that in Canada, Christians have lost hope. And when you lose hope, you've lost, you lose everything. You've got nothing. This faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I, I so believe we can make a difference. I so believe we can change things. That there's nothing impossible with God. That God's so big. He's so great that... There's no limits. This year, there's no limits, no boundaries. There's nothing. Several years ago, 
I was just finished, I just finished, um, there were the days we had crusades. And um, I had the opportunity to um, travel several years ago, many years ago now, to the Middle East to, with Benny Hinn and do some television programs, particularly in Israel. And we were invited to go to Jordan. And um, long story, but they had decided to allow him to do a public healing meeting in Jordan, which was against the law, so that had, the law had to be changed. And we were invited to, we were guests of the king, King Hussein, but we were invited to go to the palace and have tea with Queen Noor, who now is the queen mother. And uh, so we went, and uh, Benny kept talking to Queen Noor about the crusade he's going to have. And she's a very, very nice lady, very dignified lady, very classy lady, but finally she leans over and says to him, puts her hand on his arm, would you mind calling it something else? And it dawned on me that crusaders in the Middle East don't have a good history. They came and killed everybody. They came and did terrible things. And he said, oh, really, why? And she looked awkward. I said, well, that's kind of negative here in this area. Oh, really? Well, in those days, I'm talking about here in Canada, we, we had crusades. And um, I finished, and I was really quite drained. And I was flying home. And um, I just wanted to mind my own business and get on the plane and fly home. And... Um, I really, I wasn't feeling very spiritual. I just wasn't feeling anything. So I just thought, I just want to go home and rest. So but I thought, you know, it's going to be quite a flight. I think it was out west somewhere. And so flying back to Ottawa. So just in the newsstand, I picked up a copy of People magazine. I thought, that's pretty guaranteed. You're not going to have a spiritual experience through that. <laughs> so so we, get, we get going, and I start reading this. And there's some interesting stuff in there. And there was an article, an interview that People Magazine did with a lady named Mae West. Now, there's n every one of you too young to remember this lady. And personally, I don't remember her, but my wife has told me. Oh, oh you're still, t no, 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 that's a joke. <laughs> Darling, that's a joke. Um, Mae West was, well, she was in movies before they were talking. And then she you made the, jump over to actually talking movies and played, you know, against, w w along with people like W.C. Fields that you wouldn't know and all this. But she was known as the sex lady of the time, sex symbol of the time, very risque. And um, uh, so anyways, I was reading, and this was interview was when I think she was in her 80s. And one of the questions they asked her was, what do you think, Miss West, what do you think of the movies today? With the freedom we have, with the language and the nudity and, you know, all the stuff. And knowing the reputation I'd heard, I thought she'd say, wow, I wish we could have done that in our day. She said, I don't like it. I'm against it. And then she said, we would have never been allowed to do it in our day. Then she said, the church would have never allowed us to do it. And then she said, where is the church today? 
well, I'm just minding my own business on the plane, and wham. I think God's asking that. Where's the church? Where's the church? Like, you know, we quote, when things are happening, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We're the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. And, and like, come on, honestly, if we're honest, and it's very difficult to be honest, but if we're honest, the gates of hell are prevailing. Christian marriages are breaking up. Terrible things are happening. I mean, just everywhere. The gates of hell are prevailing. Because Jesus didn't stop there. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church because I give you the keys. So while we're saying, God, do something, I think God's saying, well, excuse me, you got the keys. This young, apparently handsome Inuit. Wow. Humble. Um, See, he goes by the fact that the Bible says Moses was the most humble man in the world, and Moses wrote that. So he, that, he thinks that gives him credit or, or authority to do the same. But, but when we travel, he does the driving, which means he has the keys. And I've learned that when you've got the keys, you're kind of in charge. No matter who, what, you know. Don't tell him that I figured that out, but we've got the keys. So... So what we're saying, God, do something. I believe he's saying, well, I've given you the keys. Do it. A book I read at least once a year, I'll read it several times this year because of the hour we're in, is a book that was written by Charles Finney. I think you mentioned Charles Finney today. Charles Finney lived between 1792 and 1875. That was before I was born. (laughs) <laughs> wow, 1875, he died. Amazing, man. And, and in the book, it's a message that he gave to a group of preachers. He was speaking to a pastor's conference. And he could have been speaking to a pastor's conference today. He said, brethren, that's what they called each other in the time. It was so much easier in the old days. You didn't have to learn anybody's name. It was his brother and sister. Hello, brother. Hello, sister. Now you're supposed to know people's names. (laughs) Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. Now listen. He says, if immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours. Like, we're blaming it on all these other groups and everything else. You see, we're saying, well, how can we have revival... How can we have Canada saved if they keep aborting babies, if, if the gay community keeps doing this, if the Muslims keep doing this? Got nothing to do with them. God says, I'll heal your land if my people. I mean, we, we, it's us. It's us. He says, if there's decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible. If the public press... If the media lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit's responsible. We've just walked away from it all. If Satan rules in the halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible. If politics becomes so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit's responsible for it. 
He said, let's not ignore this fact, but let us lay to the heart, be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. We are supposed to be the conscience of the nation. We've, we've been gripped by a spirit of intimidation. We've let the world tell us who we are. We've let the media tell us who we are. It's like when David came to see his brothers fighting the Philistines, they weren't fighting. They were so intimidated, so focused on the size and the greatness of the Philistine army and particularly Goliath. Smith Wigglesworth said, you'll never pray the prayer of faith if you're focusing in on the problem. We become experts on the enemy. David, who knew nothing about giants, knew nothing about the Philistines, had never studied warfare like his brothers. He was studying God. When I consider the heavens, he's out there with his sheep, the sun, the moon, the stars, the work of your finger. Wow. He said, there's something wrong with this picture. Well, everybody else was talking to God about how big the giant was. He runs out and tells the giant how big God is. And he didn't say, well, one day God's going to take care of you. He said, this day you are going down. Somebody needs to come into authority, dig in their heels, and say, I'm going to kick the ugly face of the devil. You're going down because our God is big. It's not enough to preach it, not enough to sing it. We've got to start living like we really serve a God who is alive and is different than any other God, and he really is Lord. We're the watchmen of this nation. It burst this nation birthed with a prophetic word. It's not up to the government. Canada shall be saved. You say, oh, that's impossible. I've had preachers over and over again tell me it's impossible. First of all, you, you can attest to that. We don't have a lot of rules. When you come on staff with BPA, we don't have a lot of rules. But one rule is you can't say bad words. Because that's not nice. And the top of the list of bad words are impossible. You cannot say, that's a swear word. It's a filthy word. should never be in the vocabulary. You see, I, people can reason with me. I've had businesses, I've had airlines explain to me why, you know, the plane won't wait for me or whatever. And, and they, they, they convince me, but I just keep asking some questions. And if they say, Reverend, what you're asking for is absolutely impossible. I think, I think you shouldn't have said that. Because it's like, this is what I'm going to believe God for you tonight. That he's going to, I got one, he's going to inject a button inside of you. It's an impossible button. So when somebody says that word, they flick the switch and... You'll be surprised. I actually feel myself getting taller, even taller than I am, when they say that word. And I, I, stay, I try to stay nice, but something rises up in me and say, oh, really? Really? Impossible? No, no, not with God. With God, all things are possible. I've had some awkward moments when, you know, in New York, for instance, coming across from overseas and you know, asking them to hold a plane for me, and they weren't going to, and then they said impossible, and... It all broke out, and anyway, travel, we had to transfer airports from JFK to the other one or whatever, and, and um, we walk on the plane, me and the couple of guys that were with me, and the plane was full, and they'd been waiting like 45 minutes on the ground for these people that were coming. 
And um, everybody's looking at us, expecting somebody important to get on. And, and so I sit down, and the guy across the aisle is just glaring at me, just looking. And I'm trying to pretend I don't notice. And finally, he reaches over and pokes me. And I said, yeah. He said, who are you? I said, why do you ask? He said, well, I travel all the time. He said, the airlines always go whether I'm here or not. He said, we've been sitting here waiting for you. You must be very important. I said, well, actually, I'm not. But my father is. And, and he, he ranges things sometimes for me. He said, wow, wow. <laughs> so preachers tell me, well, Canada can't be saved. A nation can't be saved. Well, then tell that to Jesus, because Jesus said, every time you pray, pray that the kingdom will come and the will of God will be done here. Amen. Every time you pray and call, like, you're praying. He said, every time you pray, pray the kingdom will come and the will of God. If the kingdom comes here and the will of God is done here as it is in heaven, this is a big revelation, bigger than the Friday one. Heaven is very Christian. <laughs> what? <laughs> if the kingdom of God is established here in Cold Lake, and the will of God is done here as it is in heaven, Cold Lake will be a Christian community. He, he wouldn't have told us to pray that if it, wasn't, if, if it wasn't possible. It's not up to the government. We're carriers of hope and life. Hebrews 11, 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. And the saddest words in the Bible are the fact that God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah, two great cities, if there had been ten righteous people. He couldn't even find them. You say, well, we can't do anything. Are you kidding me? Ten righteous people doing righteous acts, standing for righteousness, spreading the light of Jesus, can change an entire city. It's by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, a city is destroyed. One of my heroes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor, theologian in Germany during Hitler's regime, one of the last things Hitler did was give orders to make, have him killed as the war was ending. Who said that the Lutheran state church replaced Jesus with Hitler? Because they believed that would somehow going to make Germany great. If you go to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, Yad Vashem, you'll see pictures of Lutheran pastors lined up hailing Hitler. But not everybody did. Bonhoeffer refused. Refused. And he said this. Because, you know, we're into this thing. I don't, want to, I don't want any trouble. I don't want to get involved. We're fine. My family's fine. Just stay in my little house, my little church. Bonhoeffer said not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. By not doing anything, you're speaking loudly. By not standing up, you're standing up. We're the silent majority, and we need to repent. 
My dear friend Rob Parker wrote a book, We Have a Voice. He wrote this last year for the election to combat the idea, well, we can't make a difference. We can't. It's brilliant. And so we've got a whole bunch on our table. And um, it's on special tonight. It's free. Um, we partner with National House of Prayer. It's a great ministry. need to go there to Ottawa sometime and spend a week there praying in there. They'll help you to know how to pray for Canada. And they'll connect you with your member of parliament. And oh, it's an amazing place. But um, we have a good arrangement with Rob. He gives me these books. He sews them into us so we can sew them into you. So I don't know how many you've got, but take one and uh, share it around, because we, we have a voice. The media says, you, you haven't got a right. We've got rights. We've got as many rights as anybody else. We've got a voice. Don't, don't, don't be gripped by intimidation. Daniel, who they did everything they could to take God out of him and, and, and make him fit in with the culture, Daniel said, you know, the God that I serve is big enough to change the culture. Rather than the culture changing us, Let's change the culture. We've got to do things. For a number of years, each year, I had the privilege of going to India and preaching crusades in India. And the primary reason I went was just to spend time with one of my heroes, um, a Canadian named Mark Montaigne, who went to India from Toronto as a young man and saw what they call the cesspool of the world. Other people had seen the same thing, the people dying in the streets, the poverty, the darkness, just unbelievable. He knelt down in the garbage and said, I will not curse the darkness, I'll light a candle. I'll give my life to making this place a bigger place, a better place. He ended up, when I, when I was with him, feeding over 30,000 people a day, building a, one of the best hospitals in, in India, having churches and schools and educating young people and young women all over the country. <clears throat> Amazing. And he connected me with a little Catholic nun named Mother Teresa. The Pentecostal missionary and this Catholic nun worked together. Because Mother was very fussy. She wouldn't minister to poor people. You had to be the poorest of the poor. And the problem was, because they were poorest of the poor, they had no money, that no hospitals would help her people. But Mark's hospital would. They could bring their people to the hospital. They wouldn't charge them, and they'd get some of the best treatment. So he arranged for me to go and meet this lady and spend an afternoon with her. And each time I went every year, um, went back, and all with the exception of one time when she wasn't well, um, spent time with her, took my girls. She spent an entire afternoon with the girls, and it's amazing. But one of the questions she asked, and I, when Gwen went with me, my wife, and met Mother Teresa, one of the first things Mother would say is, have you seen my babies? What people didn't know is she had hundreds of babies. And uh, if they said no, they said, oh, you've got to see my babies, she'd tell one of the sisters, make sure they see my babies. Because this was the thing. She hated abortion. She considered abortion murder. So she didn't just get on a you know, stand and speak out about abortion. She said, if you don't want your babies, don't kill them, give them to me. And they did. 
Hardly a week would go by, many times hardly a day would go by, when they wouldn't find little newborn babies on the steps. And it would cost something. So they ended up with this large place for all these little babies and kids, and they were growing up, and they were providing everything for them. Because it's not enough to just speak to the darkness or about the darkness. You've got to do something. And it'll change you. It'll cost something. It, but it'll make a difference. We need to shake off the apathy. My dad was born in Cardiff, Wales. I've always wanted to see Wales have another revival. One time I was ministering in Wales. My wife and I, they took us to the church where the Ross revival happened. Not a big church. Not a big community. It shook the world. And, you know, we knew the stories and we spent time there. And then the gentleman taking us around said, would you like to go up back? He's buried out there. And there we are at Evan Roberts' tomb. A man who led the Welsh revival only for a couple of years, but it shook the world. And so these guys, who the two older men that were hosting us, their parents were in the Welsh Revival. So they got the stories firsthand. And one of them said, did you know that when he was an older man, he came back here and preached again? I said, I'd never heard that. I just heard that he became a recluse after two years. No, no, he came back and preached again. And our parents said it was very good. But it wasn't the Welsh Revival. It wasn't like it. It wasn't the same. And they said, one of the people said, Evans, can Wales ever see a revival like we had before? And without hesitation, he said, yes. But who will pay the price? And I stood at that tomb realizing that voice was coming from a man who it cost him everything. Catherine Kuhlman that was used to Allow Holy Spirit to impact my life. She was very dramatic, a little unusual, not being kind, and uh, <laughs> spoke very, and always repeated things several times. And in more than one, I was only ever in three meetings. Because the first meeting, I mean, people started getting healed on the bus going home, and then revival broke out, and we got busy. But in at least two of those meetings, Catherine looked in the crowd that was there, knowing that a lot of people would say, I'm going to do what she's doing. I'm going to see people healed, see people saved. I'm going to do all this. Because that's the plan of God for you, for everybody. But she would look, and she had this ability to never stop smiling, but tears streaming down her cheeks as she leaned over the pulpit, obviously physically weary. And she said, if you want to know how much it costs, if you really want to know how much it costs, if you really want to know, it will not cost you something. It will cost you everything you've got. 
and that's the problem. I visited with a very dear friend of mine in Ottawa. He's, he's very high profile. He's an Orthodox Jew, not a Messianic Jew, an Orthodox Jew. And, um, well, thank you. You see, you're not the only one think I'm getting dry, you see. <laughs> That's very kind. It's better than throwing water on me. I've had a... It's actually very nice. Mm. Um, I visited Rabbi Boca, Reuven Boca, and uh, I said to him, Reuben, I want you to pray with me. What are we praying for? He says. He is many of Jewish people. He's a little abrupt. And he, I said, I want you to pray that every Muslim in the city of Ottawa will come to Jesus, will convert to Christianity, and live like Jesus. Why? I said, well, just think what the city would be like if they all acted like Jesus. He said, I will pray. I will pray with you for that. Well, two weeks later, I'm in a meeting with three other gentlemen. We used to meet on a regular basis. One was the former mayor of Ottawa. One was a broadcaster. And the other was an Orthodox Jew that was very involved in politics. And one of them talks about you know, the fact how concerned he is about the growing population of Muslims in our city and all that that's bringing. And he said, what are we going to do? Well, I thought, I've got the brilliant answer. I said, I'll tell you what I told Rabbi Boka. Let's pray that every one of them will convert to Christianity, just be like Jesus and live like Jesus. And Joseph Benami the Orthodox Jew in this four, and we were all very good friends, said, no, I will not pray that. I thought, well, I've touched a couple of buttons here, and I said, okay, okay, okay. He said, I'll tell you what I'm praying. I'm praying that every Christian in this city will experience Jesus Christ and will start to live like him. Wow. Wow. That's big. If everybody that says they're a believer in Cold Lake in this region started to live like Jesus, give like Jesus, love like Jesus, just think of what an amazing place this would be. It's not up to anybody else. Joseph Benemy would stop in my office at Dominion Outreach Center once in a while and preach. He just said, I'd love to preach to preachers. He said, I'd love, I'd love you to get a whole group of preachers together so I could preach to them. And he would yang at me, Bill. He said, Canada was founded as a Christian nation. This is an Orthodox Jew. Canada was founded as a Christian nation. You guys have to take it back. I mean, Canada needs to be a Christian nation again. And he goes on and he goes, he preaches at me and very strong. And I said, but you're an Orthodox Jew. Why do you want this? He said, it'd be a lot better for us. If this nation is Christian, 
than anything else. This is a season when we need to put Christ back into Christians. If my people are humble themselves, people that are called by my name humble themselves, pray, trim from their wicked ways. God says, oh, I'll heal your land. He wants to heal Canada. He wants to heal Canada. But it's up to us. Canada needs to be healed. You see, there's a push to get the church into the, this century. Well, I, I want to push to get the church back into the first century. Because let me just tell you, as I wrap up, and I'm going to wrap up, but I'm only here for a couple of days, so come on. <laughs> come on. Um, think about it. 120 believers got together in an upper room. And boy, did they have a meeting. It was wild. Fire on their heads. Wouldn't that be neat? They all lost their dignity. All acted drunk. They all spoke in languages they hadn't learned. I mean, it was glorious. And some people say, well, boy, if you're going to get weird like that, you're going to scare the unbeliever away. Guess what happened? They came outside. 3,000 people outside the door said, we want in on this. If the fire of God falls here this weekend, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you walk outside and there's a few thousand people outside? You say, well, that can't happen in cold lake. Why not? God's the same here as he is in Africa. Reinhard Bonnke told me that he was, you know, he, I love it. When he comes to Canada, he says, Canada shall be saved. He was in Switzerland. So he says in this meeting, Switzerland shall be saved. And a group of ministers, pastors met him afterwards and said, Reinhard, this is Switzerland, not Africa. Wow. Switzerland can't be saved. He said, so I opened my Bible to John 3, 16. He says, if you can prove to me that Switzerland isn't part of the world, then I'll I'll agree with you. <laughs> Whatever God's doing anywhere in the world, that's what he can do here in Cold Lake. Whatever God is doing anywhere in the world, that's what he wants to do here. He just needs a few people who will just say, here it is. One man, Philip, in Acts chapter 8, basically sent by the government to get rid of him out of Jerusalem, goes to Samaria where nobody I mean, they didn't even like each other. He goes out and preaches Jesus, and they believed his message because of the miracles. They saw the signs and wonders, and an entire ungodly community in Samaria was filled with joy. The glory of God filled that whole community. If God can do it in Samaria 2,000 years ago, he can do it in Cold Lake now. Let me tell you, it's time for revival. Absolutely. When Canadians see the lame walking, when they see cancer tumors disappearing, when, listen, when people in Cold Lake see the dead being raised through your hands, you won't have to preach, you won't have to sing, they'll, they'll burst the doors down. We want Jesus. We need, we need, to, we need to start doing some devil kicking. Shandaramoko. When the spies came back from the promised land, Ten of them were talking about all the problems. Yeah. And Joshua and Caleb said, what are we talking about? On, what are we talking, why are we talking about all the stuff? Why are we talking about all the garbage? Why are we talking about all the obstacles? Yeah. Let us now go, for our God is well able to give us the land. Wow, that would preach. 
Don't get me excited tonight, please. It's Friday night. <laughs> Come on. Let us now go. Our God will surely give us the land. 2016 is a year for Canada. It's a year for Cold Lake. It's your year for you and your household in the name of Jesus. Let me just um, close again. Nehemiah, you need to read that once in a while. It's phenomenal. Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem was laying in ruins, that the temple had been destroyed, the walls were broken down, everything was a mess. A lot of people knew that. A lot of people who loved God knew that. And, and, and many of them thought, well, there's nothing we can do. And others thought, well, God, when you're ready, do it. God, rebuild the walls. Rebuild the temple. Well, God's not going to do it. When Nehemiah heard about it, he said, let me go. Let me go, and I'll get some people, and we'll rebuild. And he gets a group of people that buy into this vision, and they start rebuilding, and then they start whining. I preached one church. I have no idea where it was. But I talked about Wilma and Wayne Weiner. They whine about everything. If it's hot, oh, it's too hot. If it's cold, it's too cold. Oh, it's too this, it's too that. Oh, it's too loud, it's too soft. It doesn't matter. Wayne and Wilma are just whiners. Well, the people, this is a Sunday morning service at a lovely Pentecostal church. And they really were enjoying this. So I just kept stretching it out, telling more about Wayne and Wilma. The more I talked about it, the happier they got. And after the service, a couple came up to me and said, hi, my name is Wayne. This is my wife, Wilma. <laughs> and we're elders here in this church. Um, I've never been invited back to that church. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but the people started saying, we can't do this. We can't do this. We're tired. Do you know why you're tired? Because the joy is gone. The devil's stolen your joy. Well, I can't have joy because you've got to have joy. Paul in prison. In prisons, you know, they treat, in Paul's day, they treated prisoners like prisons, prisoners. It's different than our day. Like, boy, I mean, what a deal. If you're homeless, break the law and go to jail. I mean, they'll feed you. If you don't like the food, go on strike and they'll improve the food and... Prisoners have so many rights today. Well, Paul in prison in his day is saying rejoice. Rejoice. Whatever you're going through, rejoice. Amen. And the people said, we're too tired. We can't do it. There's too much rubbish. There's too much stuff. There's too many problems. There's nothing we can do. Do you know what Nehemiah did? He didn't, he didn't get mad at them. He said, just stop everything. Let's just stop everything. Let's stop building. Let's stop trying. Because when the people of God say we can't do it, we can't do it. When the people of God start focusing on all the rubbish and the garbage and the works of the enemy, we're, we're in trouble. So he gathered them all together. He said, I'm going to tell you what time it is. And I'm here in Colette to tell you what time it is. He said, it's not time to talk about being tired. It's not talk, time to talk about all the rubbish. It is time to remember our God who is great and awesome. And he said, it's not time to lay down. It's time to fight. 
William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, God bless him, radical, didn't talk about raising up an army. He raised up an army, put him in uniform, marched him down the main streets of the town, gave him instruments so everybody go, go to the bars and the pubs and preach. William Booth said to a group of ministers, when you're sent to pastor a church, you're not sent there to just maintain. You're sent there to do war and take back what the enemy has stolen. And Nehemiah said, it's time to fight for your sons and daughters. And I look at my little great-grandchildren, and I say, if things keep going the way they're going, I don't want to think of what this nation's going to be like. So I dig in my heels and say, I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to dig in my heels and say, not on my watch. If when I heard about this 11-year-old boy committing suicide, I was devastated. I felt like I'd just been kicked in the stomach, and I felt the enemy just say, ha. And I thought, this is so overwhelming. What can I do? And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you probably need to stop preaching what you're preaching. Because you've been preaching, I'm big, and there's nothing impossible, and yet... There's suicide in the north, and you're saying there's nothing you can do. And something rose up in me and said, I'm not going to stop what I'm preaching. I don't know how to preach anything else. And I said to Stephen and Becky that morning at breakfast, we got, we, God's big, and there's nothing impossible with him, and we're going to take the limits off him, but you've got to help me. you got to come. And our board met very quickly and, and said yes. And made an amazing step of faith, took him on. And I've seen this whole thing in the North go to a whole new level. And suicide is being stopped in the North. And there's an army of young people who had no hope, filled with hope, and starting to dream and make positive changes. It's, it's time to fight for your children and your grandchildren. It's time to fight for your husbands and your wives. Folks, I mean, you say, well, I, I, don't, want, I don't want any trouble. Look, one preacher said to me, spiritual warfare, are you into it? What a stupid question. Anyway, I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, I'm not into it. <laughs> Lady in Halifax said, you mentioned spiritual warfare. Like, I don't like that. Do, do you have to be in it? I said, it's not optional. When you come to Jesus, you enlist. People get there. They get all excited. They're thinking they're going on a cruise in the love boat, you know. They get... <laughs> They get their towel and their sudden tan lotion and their bathing suit. They come down to the pier, and there's not the love boat. It's a big gray ship with guns on it. They've enlisted. <laughs> and this pastor said, I'm not into it. I just talked to my people about love. I don't want to scare them. I said, well, you know, when you've got missiles flying by your head, you really don't have to tell people. You're, they know there's a war. I said to this lady, I guess the bad news is it's not optional. The good news is we don't even have to fight. He fights. We just have to stand up and decree and declare and praise. Our part is so easy. It's time to fight. Not flesh and blood, but light candles. In the next five minutes, many of you are going to be healed. and Many of you are going to feel the fire of God. Tomorrow night, we're going to lay hands on everybody. Wow. Wow. Why don't you stand for a moment, please? I know it's late, but it's Friday night. Come on. 
if you were in, some of you still can remember, when you were in the world, you wouldn't even go out at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. If, if wherever you went was over at 10 o'clock, you'd say, boy, what a ripoff. Well, you're going to get your money's worth tonight. <laughs> I feel like saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The healer's in the house. Take your hand. And if you need healing in any part of your body, put your hand in that area of the body where you need healing. Got problems in the heart, put your hand on your heart, your neck, your ear, your knee, your hip, whatever. If you've got problems all over your body, put your hand on top of your head. Wherever you put your hand, leave it there. Glory to God. I, I, there is a nail-scarred hand on top of your hand. Bible says we lay hands on the sick, the sick recover. Let healing flow. I take authority over sickness and pain and disease and limitation, spirit of infirmity, and I command it to go. I speak to these mountains, and I say, be removed and cast into the sea in the name of Jesus. Wow. Somebody with a very serious problem in the knee, I don't know, you've had some kind of surgery on the knee, or you're going to have surgery on the knee. God's healing your knee right now. Just start moving. Somebody, you were in an accident, injured the neck, bothered the shoulders. God's healing that neck and shoulders right now. There's a pinched nerve being healed. Problem that hip and down into the one leg being healed right now. Somebody's ear is being healed. There's a miracle taking place inside the mouth right now. God's healing you. Somebody's breathing. You've had a breathing condition. Take a deep breath. God's healing somebody's lungs. A breathing condition. Chronic conditions are being healed. Arthritis is being healed. Those hands, those fingers are being freed tonight. In Jesus' name, the fire of God is falling in this place. And there's healing rain falling all over you. Take it now. Take it. Grab a hold of the hem of the garment and pull on the anointing that's here. In Jesus' name. A stomach condition. Healing flows right now. From the crown of your head to the tips of your toes, I speak healing in Jesus' mighty name. Who? This is your time of receiving. Just receive. Who? Now, we never get concerned if it's not all gone. If there's any sign of change, we get excited. God never starts things he doesn't intend to finish. Whether I said anything about the condition you have or not, whether you felt anything or not, you see, you can be in a room with a contagious disease and feel nothing, and yet you can get it. Well, this is, that's a bad thing. This is a good thing. You're breathing in anointing. You've been breathing in anointing all night. People have been getting healed all night. So whatever you came with, check it right now. If it's possible, check it right now. Move that leg. Check that foot. Check that ankle. Check that knee, the hip. God's healing people all over the place, right at the back, right at the back over here. God's healing somebody right here, over in the far side, over in my right. God's healing somebody in the center, the center of the center. God's healing somebody. Arthritis is being healed. Chronic conditions. That which the doctor said you'd always have being healed tonight in Jesus' name. Wow. If you checked it a moment ago, check it again. People are still getting healed. Wow. Healing angels going through this place. Holy Spirit, very active in this house. 
Mm, wow. Right now, we give praise to God. If you know something is beginning to happen in your body tonight, that's simple as that. You don't have to tell me what it's going to be like tomorrow. I'll tell you. But if you know something is beginning to happen in your body tonight, and just before I ask you to do something, just check it one more time. Move the shoulders, move that knee, move, move whatever it is. Take a deep breath. Check the eye, check the ear, check inside the mouth. If you know something is at least beginning to happen in your body tonight, just wave your hands right now. Wave your hands high right now, real quick, real quick, real quick. I want every one of you with your hands up, come as quickly as you can to the front. If you know something's beginning to happen, come, come, come. The rest of you, the, you say, I, I, nothing seems to be happening right now, then just stay where you are, but just keep receiving, keep receiving. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.